Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander. And as always, I am joined by my two handsome Debonair co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Mirandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. If you, yeah, if this is your first time mm. listening to this episode, uh, sorry, show, you can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast and you can email us at contact at reviewed podcast dot com dot com dot com and on today's episode we are going to be offering you all a review of the 1985 uh, film witness hey man they didn't know there was a witness Carter didn't tell me about the eyewitness yeah Amish kid eight years old a man of force I'm a police officer, ma'am. I have to talk to the boy. A woman of faith. You don't understand. We have nothing to do with your laws. Yes, I do. Your son's a material witness to a homicide. Worlds apart. Now you have a witness. Yeah, now I got a witness. John, what's going on, man? What is happening? You said we would be safe in Philadelphia. Well, I was wrong. He left with the Amish woman, right? If they find me, they find the boy. You bring this man to our house with his gun of the hand. You bring fear to this house. Everyone has an idea about you and the Englishman. The trailer. Oh, the greatest trailer. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't care for it. Yeah, I mean, personally, you, you never really do, Mike, and that's the Mm-mm. problem. Mm. Uh, but Witness is a film from 1985. It is. I'm getting texts out the wazoo. Apologies. Um, it's about a young Amish boy who is a sole witness to a murder, and policeman John Book goes into hiding in Amish country to protect him until the trial. Uh, the movie stars Harrison Ford, Kelly McGillis, Lucas Haas, and is directed by Peter Veer or Weir. Peter Veer. It's Veer, right? <laughs> no, it's Peter Weir. Isn't he German? No, he's Australian. Yes. It is weird. Never yeah. mind. I'm thinking mm. of a... Uh, it's I, weird that you would think it was Veer. Can I tell you why? Oh, man. Wait, can I tell you why? You got why? Why? So, um, the filmmaker Vim Venders, uh-huh. that's a... That's a German guy. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I always think Peter uh, Weir does, is German. Does he spell it uh, Wim Wenders? Yes, he spells it Wim Wenders. Yeah. 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 That's ridiculous. I can't help but say Wim Wenders when I see his name. It's Vim Venders. <laughs> I know, but... So, that's why I did that. I apologize. Speaking of Germans, there's a lot of them in this movie. Uh, are there? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the Amish German, are German. Yeah. German, Dutch, oh, right? D- yeah, right. Dutch, Well, German. right, 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 sure. Um, but this is a movie that Mike was somehow twisted and, you know, coerced into choosing because he claims yeah, he did not Yeah, I need to let the audience know that this is like, I was under duress when I chose this movie. <laughs> I, had, I haven't had a gun to my head it over was, the phone. What was it, the movie he wanted to watch? I can't remember. Because I, I didn't prepare enough. I didn't do my homework. And I, I forgot the movie I wanted to do. I think so he wanted just... to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. After oh, yeah. We just well, no, 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 no. I changed. Right. Well, no, that was another one. I was also, of course, in doing that one. But then we switched to Witness. And then halfway through, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And then it was already done. And Dave was like, no. <laughs> he had none of it. He's like, no. No, can't do that, man. So um, like, Let's do Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a connection between Witness and Lethal Weapon because both star Donald, uh, Danny Glover. Danny Glover. I say Donald Glover. I'm really off tonight, guys. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so th- there is that connection. Also, both are, you know, th- movies came out in the 80s, um, and that's about it in terms yeah. of the connection standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Harrison yeah. Ford and Mel Gibson were two of the big 80s 
stars, I would say. Very, very true. Action stars. Um, and this is a movie I'm excited to talk about for a variety of reasons. One being that this is one of the most watched movies of my childhood. Wow, um, Which really? represents how disturbed my childhood was. Explains so much. I think it's interesting how certain like certain movies slip through the cracks and your parents let that you watch them even though you're probably not supposed to be able to watch them. And Witness is one of those movies. I probably saw it when I was far too young. Um, and my my sister was such a big fan of this movie when like on her uh, when she was eight she went as an Amish girl for Halloween one year because uh, of this movie so um, yeah I'm this one is one that I was very curious to see whether it had holds up because I've watched it a lot and I haven't revisited it in quite some time but enough about my boring childhood Mike <laughs> Dave very... let's hear about your boring childhood <laughs> <laughs> Dave, tell me more about your boring childhood no Mike tell me about your uh, uh, familiarity with this movie how do you think it holds up all that jazz and how dreamy is Harrison Ford in the film man Harrison Ford man he's just always good he's always good um, well, have you seen Cowboys versus Aliens <laughs> no okay there you go uh, and I'd like to set my opinion intact so I won't, I won't go see that movie rests but anyway continue <laughs> um, no yeah 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 I, I had never even heard of this movie going into it um, so it's glad I'm glad that I was coerced into selecting this movie as good as a good one um, I, I really enjoyed it I think it's I think it's really interesting it's an interesting premise and it's an interesting kind of, you would never see this kind of movie in theaters now like it just wouldn't happen like someone becoming Amish like the, the whole concept of just I think understanding the Amish people and going there I, I just don't see that happening anymore um, that's because they would say this movie's just like Witness <laughs> right probably <laughs> or I, think, I think a lot of people would think it's boring I don't think anyone has I, I think most people would probably say that there's not they don't have a lot to offer this society that's so connected to our cell phones and everything's instantaneous and everything is electronic like I don't see how you could sell this kind of movie to a modern audience um, but I think did you want to say something Ivan or oh I just was going to say that I to be play devil's advocate a little bit, I think it's like the most high concept pitch you could ever give, though. It's such an easy 30 second pitch. Like, what if a cop was forced to hide out with Amish people? It's <laughs> right. a fish out of water story of a big city cop forced Who's to. Who's got to go to the small town <laughs> farm? Yeah, like, I think that that inherently is such like a movie studio y idea. In fact, yeah. I mean, they, they've made that. There's, there's this horrible romantic comedy starring uh, with. with uh, Hugh Grant and Sarah Jessica Parker, where they're forced to like escape the mob by becoming Amish. Oh, um, I, so is, it's not like this premise has been redone. Like it, it's such an easy sell. So from that I, standpoint, I, like I can see it. Speaking being of made. easy sell, I feel like um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Weirdo Yankovic. I think what? picked uh, Yankovic. Actually, sorry, no ch there. I think he like he did his all of his Amish research for Amish Paradise. I think he just used this movie completely. Oh. Almost every single <laughs> lyric in that song is in this movie. Check it out. It's it's actually pretty funny. Um, yeah, it's basically watch Witness, essentially. Yeah. Right. That, that was his research he did. He didn't actually go to the farm. He's like, ah, just rent that movie and, and just talk about everything they do there. But anyway, um, no, I, I, I liked it a lot. I think the, the it's an interesting story, um, and I think they execute it well, and I think it would be easy to make fun of the Amish um, and just make them out to be like, oh, they're a bunch of Luddites, and Harrison Ford kind of shows them the way, and he shows them why modern society is better, and... Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that they didn't do that. Um, and especially like when halfway through into the movie, I'm like, well, how are they going to resolve this love story that's going on? Because one of them is going to have to drastically change. Either Harrison Ford's going to have to become Amish or she's going to have <laughs> to leave and go to the big city. And I'm like, I don't see either one of those really working out. Like, I don't, I wouldn't buy either one of those, I don't think. You didn't think um, he could go back to the city? I just didn't think so. I don't know. And I, I, I mean, think she, it, it would she have, couldn't. Oh, she, she. Right, right that's right, what I'm yeah. saying. So, yeah. like, he says in the middle of it, he's like, if I made love to you there, one of us is going to have to leave whatever life we're living. Right. 
Right. Um, which I thought was great because I'm like, yeah, she would have to. And I, I just don't think it works for her character. I feel like she's very, she's committed. I mean, she has her own, I think she breaks her own, um, or she has her own moral code, right? She's breaking some of the laws and the, and the rules of the people, right? But overall, I think she's deeply committed to that lifestyle. And I think if she just kind of left it for love, it would have felt a little bit like Hollywoody for me. Um, so I like the, I like the end that, that they both kind of go their separate ways, but it's not, that, that rings true to me, and I think that's that felt real to me. Um, well, at the same time, I think all the character development is all very good because they, they again, easy shortcuts I think a modern movie would have made was, uh, you know, Daniel, the um, love interest for, uh, gosh, what's her name? I can't even think of her name. Rachel? Rachel, thank you. Played by Kelly McGillis mm-hmm. of, of Top Gun, mm-hmm. the highest of guns fame. The highest of guns, <laughs> yes. Well, this, and Daniel's played by the guy from Die Hard. He's one of the... the um, he characters. is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, and um, I, I kind of like... I, I love seeing him not play a villain. Like, Yeah, um, because, dude, I thought he was a villain. In the beginning of the movie, I'm like, oh, this is Alexander the guy Alexander Goodenough. Yeah, um, he... Because he's got this, like, smile that's too big, so it automatically looks villainous when he... When he smiles, you're going to the big city. You will see so many things. Yeah, I was like, just, oh my god, what is he doing? And like, I, you know, if because of the diehard thing and just the way he looks, you're like, oh, this guy is totally going to give book up at the end, and he doesn't, which is kind of cool. But anyway, right. And I, what's interesting is it's actually, and again, I thought in the beginning you're going to find out that he's the guy who murders, and the kid sees him, and then later on when you when he sees the murder in New York, I'm like, oh, I guess he's the guy. Maybe he killed. You're going to find out that he killed Rachel's husband. Maybe that's how he died. And then no, he's just a guy who. Was trying to you know trying to win her over, and then him and Harrison Ford. You could see the contention in the beginning, but then as the movie goes on, they have mutual respect for each other, and there's like that almost camaraderie there, which is like he sticks up, he stands up for him in the uh, in the town. And I I just I don't know. I thought they did a really good job with the relationship between Harrison Ford and the Amish and their mutual respect for each other, um, despite their differences. And I thought it was a very human movie. I felt like all the characters were really fleshed out. Um, I think some characters got you know shafted some screen time like his his partner <laughs> cop who just gets murdered and you're like oh okay he's dead now that's cool <laughs> um but other than that i think it's I, I i just liked it i thought it was really an interesting story and i thought it was well told and attention to detail was good all right dave tell me about witness uh yeah this is a really good movie i mean it's Fuck a, yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's Here's the thing. Peter Weir is secretly maybe one of my two or three favorite directors. He's not that prolific, and though. He, no, he's not that prolific, but he's, you know, when, when I look at the list of movies that he's made, uh, we have Witness, Dead Poet Society, Master and Commander. Um, yeah, these are and, all and the Truman, pretty good. The Truman Show. Oh. Uh, I mean, these are all movies that I really, really like a lot. And Those especially, are, yeah. You know, in particular, Master and Commander, and that's like the last great movie he made, and that was so long ago. It was 2003. Um Witness just he he has there's something about um, Peter Weir's uh, attention to detail and he has kind of like a a gentle spirit like he's yeah. like a he has like a gentle um, humanity to the way he directs I don't know how else to describe it but yeah absolutely it's like it's like a gentle um, touch you know it's like he doesn't shy away from violence of course I mean Master Commander in particular can get you know is really violent and Witness has kind of a bloody uh, chase kind of a, a thriller type ending you know and it, it gets a little bloody i mean a guy gets killed by a silo of corn oh that was that was pretty <laughs> grotesque i gotta that's, say like that's yeah, that's pretty that's pretty brutal because you're but, seeing the guy like, it's not like he just gets crushed and that's it you're seeing him suffocate and cough up phlegm and like oh this is whew. yeah yeah it was pretty tough um but uh overall i think that he has kind of a very human uh the, the way you describe a human is, is very good just overall kind of tone to the movie i mean he, he just you know i'm sorry i'm, I'm 
Evernote just quit and I had my notes up and I was reading something. <laughs> His cue cards are down. No teleprompter. Doesn't matter. I'm just gonna have to wing it. Uh oh. It's like that scene in uh, Wayne's World when Garth has to go without Wayne. He's just staring into the camera like the scene from Scanners. Um, Movies. You know, here's what I'm gonna say about Witness guys. Why Dave figures out why Evernote's not working. Um, Yes, this movie holds up for me, and I think this is one of the most underrated movies ever made. I feel like it's a movie that's not in topical conversation very often. I've never but heard I of think, it. But I think it's one of the most capable thrillers and romances uh, ever made, and it's a movie that doesn't give that romance short shrift. In fact, I would argue that it's l- more of a romance than it is actually a thriller. I think it's yeah. bookended by thriller elements, but yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing that would like trick a viewer into the audience, like, uh, it's an intense, gritty cop thriller, and it turns out just to be a slow-paced romance between an Amish woman and uh, and a guy and that's who never sleep together who lit- well I mean that's up for debate but yes I, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion that they don't have sex which I think yeah. is important to the movie and I think it makes a relationship even sexier which I, I, I think sounds real weird but I, agree. Um, yeah. I, I feel like just maybe it's the fact that both Kelly McGillis and Harrison Ford are at their peak beautifulness in this movie but <laughs> I, I find they're a their chemistry I think is amazing in the movie and um, I think that the moment towards the final act of the movie after you know she she's kind of said no we we can't have sex and she runs up to him the morning before the final climax and that that kiss I think is one of like the most intense movie kisses Mm -hmm. ever I, I gotta say Harrison Ford doesn't really know how to kiss I kind of love that. Well, okay. <laughs> he just kind of smashes Wait, his face. He's just like, is, yeah, I don't know. Excuse <laughs> me. Harrison Ford knows Wait. how to kiss. Wait, I don't know, man. You look closely. He does, he's just like, he's like, okay, what do we do? We just kind of put our mouths together and just move our heads around, right? That's all. We, okay, here we go. I think that I think that kiss is really important because it is kind of clumsy and awkward because they, you know, it's 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 something like it's pent up and it's it's not angry, but it's full of emotion and passion and because it's been building up for so long in, in at, at this point in the movie yeah. and it's kind of like. Like this relief as the audience just to finally see that this happened because the buildup is all there. But the movie is very, very interesting to me because it it's not fast fast paced, but I no, find it it's not. but I find it real engaging. I never find it boring. I find all the fish outer water stuff to be handled with a way, as Dave said, with a humanist touch that never feels like it's making fun of anybody, but at the same no. time it still is comedic and it has lovely moments of human interaction and humanism and and it's just all around just a really well-told story and it, it gives you an insight into a culture without kind of making fun of them like it, it could have so easily been um not that it could have so easily been like oh you know harris it's funny because it does all the things that you think it should and should be bad like he doesn't know how to milk a cow isn't that ridiculous but for <laughs> some reason it all works and it's even got like even the punchlines in those moments are hilarious and I think very funny when he's like, haven't you ever touched a teat before? And he's like, they've never been this big. And his laugh um, is great. Yeah. Is, uh, is, is amazing. Uh, so I think that the movie totally holds up. And I will say this uh, flat out. I think that like in terms, if you want to know what it's like to be like what a man is, you just show yeah. them Harrison Ford in this movie. The scene when she hands him the lemonade and he gulps down the lemonade in like <laughs> it's one the manliest swig. drinking of lemonade it I've is, ever seen. It is yes, it is like that's how a man drinks lemonade. Because <laughs> he like he downs it he downs it in like one gulp and then when he wipes his face and the way she's look, looking look at, at him, yeah. it's just like she's like, Oh my god, this is what sex is. Like this is what like <laughs> testosterone personified is. Yeah. And it's Oh, he's in his element because Harrison Ford was a carpenter in real life. So he's, uh, it was like, wait a minute, I, 
I get to go hang out in the countryside and do carpentry and get <laughs> yeah, paid to be in a, a movie. Rustic dude, he's got, he's got houses all out in like rural Midwest. Like he's he, he likes that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing this movie does that I think is very interesting and very different than what you would expect is it basically solves the central mystery within the first fifteen minutes. You know who did. You know who. Yeah. You know who committed the crime. Mm-hmm. You know who that who that relationship is to the main character. That's something that would have been like, it would have been a third act reveal that that cop was crooked in a different movie. It would have been like, yeah. oh, he was a crooked the entire time. And that you know, what's interesting about the whole thing is that. Um, they don't even need to, you know, ha- the first half of the movie is we got to protect this kid because he's our key witness. By the end of it, it doesn't matter because they basically got the, like, the whole thing comes apart and the, um, uh, I forget his, the, the, the police chief's name, but he basically kind of, like, outs himself by going after him on the farm and getting everybody killed. Like, they don't need the kid anymore, which is interesting. Like, he doesn't become, I feel like every other movie you'd kind of have this kid, you know, almost kidnapped or escorted something. To, to, yeah, it's like, you know, he's in the backseat of the car where they're getting shot at and they have to get him to, like, this this waypoint so that they can kind of transfer him and get them, get him on trial. Like, but it doesn't, it becomes irrelevant by the end of it. And speaking of the end, I think I just want to talk really quickly about the way it's ended and how differently it could have been handled. I mean, I'm not sure what the original screenplay said, but I'm talking specifically about uh, the scene where the police chief that we're talking about, the, the crooked police chief is, uh, he has the, the kid hostage. He has the witness hostage or he has the girl, he has uh, Killian McGill's hostage. And, I, I feel like there's another version of this movie where that becomes a shootout or let's say yeah. lethal weapon where Gary Busey and, and Mel Gibson fight and then he says, ah, oh, you're not worth it. And then, you know, the guy, pick, Gary Busey picks up a gun and, and, and they, they both shoot him together, right? Well, Or I was, movie, I was expecting the moment where Kelly McGillis is going to do something because she was going to shoot him or something like that. And then right. like, shoot the hostage, shoot the hostage. <laughs> and I, she, she shoots Kelly McGillis she, in the leg. Wait, are you saying that she would shoot her own son in the leg? Is that your end? No, no, I, yeah, I was expecting it, something. It was going to be one of those things where, you know, he lets his guard down and then, like, she comes up behind him with a shovel and hits him on the head or something. Some <laughs> but, other corny Hollywood trope. But instead, or, you have, like, all the, you know, you have all the Amish people just coming together and just, like, it's like killing the guy with kindness or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, and that's what I like because I'm thinking in this movie, I'm like, I, I really hope. So, he puts down his gun, right? That's the end. He, it, he gives up. He gives himself up. Yeah, and everything is, is handled, I mean, to a degree, nonviolently. I mean, I think the guy in the, in the corn silo and, and McPhee both get shot and murdered, right? But, um,. Only because I feel like, and it was almost out of necessity, right? I feel like when he had the option of just taking the the, the chief quietly, that was what they did. Basically, it was, it was interesting because the whole the whole his whole character is like I've been saying, like he perf- personifies testosterone and manliness. Like you hear his sister's critique of what he's like and what he says, how he deals with things, um, and you, even when he has his, like his fever dream when he's recovering from his his bullet wound, he's yelling things like, "Yeah, I'm gonna effing kill you! I'm gonna kill you! I'm gonna do." Mm-hmm. So she's seen the side of him that's very vengeful and very bloodthirsty, and he basically has to learn how to solve his problems, for the most part, in a way that's not murderous or not as bloodthirsty. And it's it's hard to make that argument when he beats the crap out of a tourist on Main Street, well, yeah. and when he you know kills two of the three cops coming after him. But I well, I think it's important also for the villain. It, it makes the villain more human because he looks around and he sees this entire society that he's disrupted over this. Right. And he realizes his own faults and he's like, you know what? It's, I, I'm I'm already evil. It's not worth going even further down right. this road, which I right. think is important uh, because it makes the villain not a cartoon character. Exactly. Which, he's not exactly. He's not just this like I'll kill all. I'm gonna burn everything down. I'm burning the farm, and then you're like, yeah. So I really appreciated that. Um, I want to talk about that scene that you referenced earlier, Mike, about the scene where. They're in town, and the tourists are making fun of the guy from Die Hard. It's so good, man. uh, Well, the thing about that scene is it's – 
I remember that scene being really satisfying as a kid watching Harrison Ford beat up that guy. Oh, yeah. But in watching it now, I feel like I was like, oh, no, that was the wrong. Like, I finally like, it didn't it didn't connect for me as a kid. But that's totally the wrong thing for Harrison Ford to do. He's he's goaded out and he ends up basically causing that end conflict to happen right. because he exposes himself in that right. scene. Right. And exactly. I think, and I think that's showing like a character flaw in Harrison Ford that he's too he's too masculine and too, you know, hot too headed not yeah. not to let that go. When if he just practiced the ways of the Amish, he would have been fine. Which I think is really interesting. Right. Um, and, and, but you know it's character flaw, but it's not a flaw in the script because they set that moment up. They, they you understand why he does it. He has just found out his partner was killed, right? No, it makes sense in the yeah. terms of the story. Mm-hmm. It just uh, and also reason- I, th- I think it's great because you go from you know him being a part of this, and again this this dude who um, uh, Daniel who had not been very welcoming to him, and he recognizes is basically his competition. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that's getting picked on, and I think it says it says a lot about Harrison Ford's character that he's not just sitting around like, oh, what kind of a man are you now? You're getting made fun of, or he's not. <laughs> he takes no joy in that. Like it makes him angry to see that, and I think, um, I think he's grown to love these people. Right. I think that Dave also mentioned it, and you did as well, Mike. Um, their relationship between—I know I keep focusing on this character, who I guess is ostensibly a pretty minor character in the movie. Yeah, right. This, but their relationship is so well developed, and they hardly say any words to one another. He hands on a glass of a glass of uh, lemonade or water, but like that—that that one action alone just says a lot. It does, and it—it it, yeah. it is. It may be one of my favorite on-screen relationships because it's one of the things where they're definitely not friends, but they're not enemies. And it, it shows nuance when most movie relationships lack nuance. It's a very nuanced relationship where they have respect for one another, but they don't like one another. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important. And at the end of this movie, I think it's they're saying that he should uh, Rachel should end up with him. He's a better match for her. And that's what basically happens. You know, I, yeah. or at least what I assume ends yeah. up happening is right. she probably ends up marrying that guy because he's a pretty nice guy. He's going to take care of her kid. He's a good part of the Amish community. Mm-hmm. And What's interesting is like he's not I don't I don't think he's a better match because I think the movie's saying that her and him, her and Harrison Ford are a great match because they get along. They, you know, they, they have a chemistry. Whereas this guy, I mean, there's like no chemistry. He comes over and sits next to her and it's weird. And he's kind of like putting his arm around her. and It's a little staring well, at her and she's looking well, back at him. And it's like, uh. I think it's like a learn Is to love enjoying this i think it's like one of those things where it's like arranged marriages in like you know old-timey european countries or you know hasidic communities where it's not it's not obviously a relationship precipitated on love it's a uh it, it just makes it's a practicality thing mm-hmm. and they they end up learning to love and depend on one another right, right. Um, which i think is what they're insinuating is going to happen and what culturally is what you know is supposed to happen but um, yeah, I just find that whole thing pretty fascinating because again, they, it would have been so easy to make that character just the biggest dick. Like, the, right? In, yep. in a different movie, they would have had him sneak out to a payphone and be like, "By the way, the guy you're looking for is at you know this address," and blah blah blah. Right. And that never happens, which I think is which, and, and that's the kind of stuff. Like, I, man, I gotta tell you, I'm just getting really sick. Of, I don't want to go on a rant here, and I'm like an old crotchety old man, but <laughs> I'm just getting so sick of Hollywood movies that do that, where it's like they have people are just plot devices. They're not actually people. There's no humanity behind. And that's why, Dave, like, I know you said it too, but I, I just, I love the humanity of this movie. And I like the fact that they're all real people. And there's something, like, like they are not there just to move the plot forward. They're there to, to for the good of, like, for their own good, right? They're, they're there because they just exist, you know, in some way. Um, it's not just a crafted story. It's like a story about, you know, in theory, people who actually exist. Um, and I, I just, I like that. I like seeing something that's more organic and real and, and just more just not so cliched not so like oh he's gonna do this okay right now that's how that happens oh what a bastard we all we're all supposed to hate this guy because he turned him in even though he's really just a plot device like you know yeah for sure um so dave um uh 
Did you get your Evernote notes back? Yes. <laughs> Are we good to go, Dave? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It just threw me for... There's not even that many. Should I move on to a different loop. topic, or do you have anything you want to add before I move on to that topic? Well, I mean, well, the one, the, the one thing I wanted to say is that this is the movie that Harrison Ford probably... He, he should have won an Oscar for. This is the one movie he was, he, he was He was nominated for Best Actor, uh, and I'm forgetting who actually won Best Actor that year. And instead, it won Best Screenplay. And that was the same year that Back to the Future was nominated for Best Screenplay. So I, whoever won Best Actor in 1985, you should just give it over to Harrison Ford. And I'm sorry, Witness, great screenplay, but you should definitely hand that Oscar to Back to the Future. So that's, uh, uh, you know, awards-wise, I mean, this movie was a big success, right? It was a financial success. It was at the peak of Harrison Ford's career. Uh, you know, it kind of made Peter Weir a, a named director. And he, he, he went on to direct... Uh, he was nominated like three or four times for best director. I mean, it's it's just a shame that he's not more prolific. Or maybe it's maybe it's a good thing. I mean, it's better to, not to make any bad movies, I guess. I and mean, the last movie I think Peter Weir made was called The Way Back, which was which I thought was just so so. I never saw that. That's um, not the movie with Sam Rockwell, right? No, that's, that's the way way back. That's the way way back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. That's the sequel. No. That's the sequel. That's, the way way back. The way, the the way, way back. back two. The <laughs> way way back. Yeah. No, the the way, way back. back three. The way or back. The way you're back, right? Um, I think this movie is an interesting choice of casting. I think it's fascinating that we talked last time on this podcast about how Danny Glover makes such an affable, nice guy. He makes like such a great family man type yeah, character. Yeah, and oh my and god, he, he's scary. And, and here he is as the cold-blooded villain in this movie that's totally terrifying, which I shows I think shows his range as an actor that I don't think is utilized enough. I don't feel like Danny Glover uh, is allowed to play the more evil notes of his persona more um, often as he probably well, should. Well, I mean, he, he kind of started off playing villains, right? He was, the, the, I think, The Color Purple was also oh, right, 1985, right. right? And he played uh, kind of a, it's, I've only seen the movie in bits and pieces, it's been a long time. But I know he was a villain in that and a villain, obviously, in this. And well, he was maybe, very maybe, quiet in this one. Maybe Lethal Weapon is the movie that kind of turned public. It's like, um, you know, you have that role that suddenly defines you and everything right. becomes reminiscent of that. Um, right. It's like the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man thing, like suddenly... You know, I guess Robert Downey Jr. has been playing yeah. Iron Man his whole career, but yeah. still, uh, it it is something uh, to think about. I also want to talk about Lucas Haas, the child actor who plays um, Samuel, the, yeah. the kid actor, which I think goes down as one of the great all-time children performances in a movie. Um, I don't think I, he... man, yeah. dude. You didn't like I him? I thought he was okay. I thought he was... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was good. I thought I he was about, great. I don't know about great... I feel Honestly, like he, I think he has a great look to him, and I thought I really enjoyed... I, I think he's adorable. I think he's a good-looking kid, but I just did not... I think he makes you care about him, right? But I don't think his acting was was that great at all. I think he had one look, and that's all he did. I, I think know. he's really great because he never he never comes off as too precocious, and he um, right right. And maybe it's just maybe it's just the way that the screenplay handles the lines he says or does not say. He's always. Um, it's maybe it's just his eyes. I mean, the the fact that you're showing this Amish kid going into a world that he does not know at the start of the movie, the way his eyes focus on things, I think, is just incredible. There's yes. that shot of him looking at the train window, and it's just you can tell it's like he's soaking everything in. And I think that moment's great. I think the moment when he goes up to the Hasidic Jew in the train station because yes. he thinks he's a fellow Amish person is just amazing. Um, all that kind of stuff. I also I, really I, I like the scene where he looks at the train and Daniel's on the horse and he's just kind of like riding the wagon like a boss, just like, yo, what's up, kid? I'm racing your train. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I really dig his performance. And I think, again, I think the relationship with him and Book isn't, it's not like it's given tons of screen time, but it definitely feels like it's developed to a point that feels uh, natural. 
Um, and it's amazing to me that this movie is under two hours. I feel like a lot happens in it. I feel like there's a lot of relationships that are established, and the movie is relatively short in terms of film runtime. The original screenplay was actually three hours long. It was 160 or 180 pages, um, and a lot of that was a lot of Amish ritual and such that was completely cut out of the movie. So um, I think it's a good balance, and uh, it's it's a total four quadrant movie, right? Like it's it's it's, it's got a great. The, it, must, it had been a great date movie, I'm sure. Yeah, because it's got it's got the action for the men, it's yeah. got the romance for the women, right. everything that you could possibly and want. And it's got the uh, quality screenplay and direction for the film, fanat, you know, film fans. So there you, there, there you go. You know, something Nerds. interesting about this movie is that they really kind of try to show uh, how annoying it is to be Amish and have all those tourists, you know, kind of. To be treated like uh, they're, on, they're on a farm or something. And uh, something I'm reading was that, uh, you know, so that since the movie was successful and trying to, uh, you know, crit- trying to critique the way that Amish are viewed in society. At the same time, because it was so successful, I think people started to go to Amish communities and say, wow, let's go see where, where Witness was made. Let's go see the Amish just like in Witness. Damn so, it, humanity. Come on. <laughs> That's uh, not, probably not such a great result. Yeah, it is one of those things. Um, well, I, I've never actually been annoying. I have, you know, been to Pennsylvania Dutch country, and I've gone to eat at the Amish family-style meals and stuff like that. And I, I have partaken into the tourism industry that the uh, Amish are a part of. But And my bed, the bed I sleep on, was constructed by an Amish company. So there you go. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, Giving back. Wh- what do you guys think about the music uh, of the film? Oh, the dude, super weird. It's like, okay, well, I, mean, I wouldn't say... I'll like say it. it's very. T- I, I liked it. I liked it. I think it's very peaceful, and it kind of. I think it captures that feeling of being in the countryside, being at peace, being away. For it's very kind of like uh, meditative. It's like but a synthesizer was, score, right? Yes, totally. But, yeah, synth, but it's yeah. very, it's very modern sounding for something. I was expecting something more rustic, more folksy, like a you know a banjo. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I don't say a that. Banjo. No, I don't say that in a bad way. I'm just saying something that's more. No, I like banjos too. But. Yeah, I, I do too. But I think like. <laughs> I, I was expecting something that's to be more in this line is the with banjo Amish podcast. culture. <laughs> the banjo. Sorry, I'm just that would give the movie a completely different tone. There's something very no, ethereal no, 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 about no, no, the no. scores. You know, it, you well, know, like uh, a, stri- a fiddle or a string. Like something. You, that's I a little know bit what you're trying to say, Mike. I got it. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because the thing is, I love the music to this movie, but it's a very odd choice and a little bit yeah. off-putting. I noticed in this film that it's not an orchestral score. Mm. You would think that it, it's weird that it's electronic and it almost feels like it's like a budgetary thing. Like they didn't like spend the money to have like a full-on orchestra recorded. Or it's almost like that's what was hot at the time so they put that in. Because I think like especially when, you, when you're trying to tell a story with music, why would you not go with an orchestra when you're trying to convey the idea of like many people coming together, right? The, the concept of like you're not... Like the scene I, that really sticks out into my mind is I think the actual music, the notes themselves are gorgeous. It's the barn raising scene, mm-hmm. but it's very odd that that scene is not orchestral. It should, that's like, that's like the big orchestral moment. That's the mm-hmm. moment where you want to hear like all strings and you want to hear yeah. all yeah. this stuff. And instead it's like a Rhodes piano and mm-hmm. like other synthy type instruments. And maybe it is a product of the eighties or maybe it was an intentional choice. I don't really have an answer to that question. I'm just curious uh, whether or not it was off putting. At all? No, I mean, he. I think it was the, the same guy who did the score to this. Also scored Dead Poet Society, and that had kind of an ethereal quality. And um, you know, the Truman Show, I think, ethereal. had something like a filled glass score, and uh, Master Commander had you know mostly cellos and violins, kind of um, Bach, I think. So he's, Bach. He, Bach, Bach. He's Bach, 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 Bach. 
he's you know he he uses music in interesting ways i mean it's you know it it feels like it fits but it's you know it it doesn't distract you know it's it's unusual but it doesn't distract i would say um, yeah. yeah yeah i think i think intellectually i was bothered by it but the fact of like like i said before with the, the choice of it but emotionally i think it, it gets the right feeling across to a degree i think that i enjoy the the feeling it creates yeah yeah, I would actually be interested to hear why Peter will talk about yeah. like why he why yeah. he decided this kind of for this kind of horror. Well, you know, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave. We have Peter Weir on the phone right oh. now. Oh, Mr. Weir, <laughs> Mr. Veer. <laughs> Mr. Oh, oh, wait, my no, name's actually Veer. He just wait, he just hung up because I I pronounced it incorrectly. So I'm, oh, uh, thanks, we lost Dave. Him. But God, you know, it was close. Uh, uh, he was going to tell us all the answers. That's about that dude. That's not good for the podcast. Oh my God, we look so stupid right now. So now they're about <laughs> a half hour in, and you know we. Most people probably tuned out at this point. Yeah. I think it's time to get into the sexist portion of the show. How what? about them Amish boobs? Oh, yeah. Oh, they, they know what they're doing over there. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I guess if there's boobs in the movie, we have to mention it. No, I think it's Boob an interesting... Well, I, I, um, I think it's a desexualized nude scene. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree with me. I don't think it's... I agree. I think it's more about her look than the fact that she's not doesn't have a top on. Right. <laughs> well... I mean, yeah. Maybe desexualize is the wrong word, but she obviously wants him there. She wants him to have sex with her at that moment. Yes, um, and what's in- he doesn't. And in fact, the scene where he's another modern movie, you see him in his bedroom on his bed by himself. Either he walks back there, and then they have passionate love in the barn, or she comes into the room and makes love to him. You know what I mean? But the fact they didn't was interesting and a great choice. Well, the interesting way I thought that scene was filmed was that. Um, you know, it's close-ups of both of them at first, and uh, he doesn't turn away until they do that wide shot. That, like, um, what was he looking at the yeah, whole so time? Yeah, so it really yeah. puts you into into his uh, character, I'd say, or her character. I mean, e- either one, where it doesn't become an issue until, like, you, the audience, also see, you know, breasts. You know, when when it's just two close-ups, I mean, uh, okay, well, what I think there, on? I think there's a lot of, um, there's like this, it's, it, again, this is a whole movie where things are said without being said, but not in an ambiguous way. You know the intention of certain actions, and the movie does this very well. Uh, in, towards the end, when she, you know, basically puts down her bonnet and runs to him, which is a very symbolic thing, the fact that she's going to let her hair be exposed, mm-hmm. and she's basically, basically she's like, I'm going to run away with you at this point, let's make out. That's basically, she's making a choice there. Right. And then it doesn't, it's not until the end of the movie when she sees all this violence happen, this violence from the modern world world come into her society when she makes the choice that this isn't the path she wants to go on which i think is awesome it's great writing it's great character stuff and it's it's amazing filmmaking so yeah what's cool is it's very much the whole movie is a slow in some way so when you first meet her she's and when i guess when he first meets her she's covered like all in black she has the black bonnet the black overcoat i guess you can call it i don't know um the black but she's dressed all in black and everything is very covered off she has many layers on and then you're kind of seeing her when she interacts with Harrison Ford slowly she's wearing less and less like she has the you know then the hood is gone for a while and she's just wearing like the white bonnet for a bit um, and I think you're seeing in some way she's kind of losing more and more of like her her culture her the, the trappings of her culture of her belief system to the point where you see her, she's like almost completely nude um, which it's interesting just seeing that progression because I noticed it early on and I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder if there's going to be a nude scene. Because it seems like that that's where they're going with it. And they did. And what's interesting is that's not... It, when you If you go about it in, a, in, a, um, in sequence, right, you see her without her top on before you see her without her 
the bonnet, I believe. Does she have a bonnet on in that scene? No, she doesn't because she's – I think she's taking a bath. Well, actually, let me get a screen grab. I want to look at the I think she's – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's like giving herself some kind of – Kelly, uh, this is going to be I mean, be she's bad, not just going to be standing there naked for no reason. You know? <laughs> Most likely bathing or changing is, is – Hold on. Let me see if oh, I like, Google search for Google the – Oh, yeah, first image result. No, she's not wearing her bonnet in that uh, scene. Ah, okay. Well, there goes that theory. Um, but yeah, I was going because that's like you, you could argue that her her quote unquote most nude moment is when she actually takes the bonnet off because it's in some way she's almost like shedding her she's choosing at that point saying like, I'm dropping it and I'm and they show you that whole shot of her dropping it on the floor um, where I think she's kind of like Ivan said she's the cl- closest she's going to be at leaving the farm and basically like taking on this new way of life with Harrison Ford. Um, I think that there are many amazing scenes in the movie and. Um, I'll tell you my favorite, and then maybe you guys can go around, and maybe there'll be different favorites. My favorite scene in the entire film is the um, when he's fixing the car radio scene. I think oh, it's one of the say, oh, well. yeah. <laughs> it's Dave. Tell me that's not one of the greatest movie scenes. Oh, it's great. It, it's so good. It's, it's great. It's a great song. It 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 really it put it connects the two characters. Oh, you know, God. With very I mean, dialogue. I um. I watch that scene and it just makes me love movies. Like it's a kind of scene that just yeah. everything about that scene is the chemistry is there. The, just the way Harrison Ford reacts like this, this is great. Like the way he like gets into the song and, yeah. and, and the way it's lit. And it's cool because he hasn't at that point, he hasn't heard music in I don't know how long. Like he hasn't really heard anything modern on the radio. So for him, to, it's just like, oh gosh, yeah, music is good. It's good. <laughs> and that scene is just killer. And I think, I, I mean... Again, I'm prone to hyperbole on this show, so I apologize. But that's I think that if you're thing. listing like some, one of my like you know top 100 movie scenes, that's that's in there for me. I think it's just everything about that movie. The movie is kind of set in that scene, and it's just so so damn good. So I don't know if you guys have any other favorite scenes you wanted to share. Uh, well, I mean, I really enjoy the whole barn raising scene. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. That, that was great. I do too. I love that. I love that sequence. And I mean, again, I, I like movie. I like movies that really show you. Uh, like the process of how something's done where you don't necessarily understand, you know, like, uh, you know, what it would actually be like to be there. You know, that's, that's something he, that Peter well, Peter Weir did well in uh, master commander too. He was really, in, he really kind of focused in on a lot of the details of what it would be like to actually live and work on a boat in like the 1700s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like the detail of that scene of showing like how you would construct a barn in like a day and uh, you know, how, how much you could get done and how many people you would need to do it. And, you know, um, and that it's actually possible. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing fake about it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it feels like a very honest, uh, it, it, it seemed that it feels almost the most like a documentary in the movie to me. And, and the, you know, it's kind of like this brief interlude in the movie, right? Because it's not like it's a, it, it, I mean, there is character stuff that happens in that scene that I think is important, but it's kind of like this reprise. It's almost like the, um, the intermission of the film, because after that sequence, that's when all the stuff starts propelling the third act into motion. But yeah, it's just a, it's just a lovely scene, the music and the way it's shot and uh, the cinematography. And I mean, I, I, I've, I want to eat that lunch that they have. Like, I've always wanted to like have that meal, and it's just a fantastic scene. Um, I will also mention that Witness has one of my all-time favorite cinematic shots. Like you know, there's a, a like a I forget there's like a Twitter uh, handle where they're like one perfect shot, and they show like one shot from a mm-hmm. movie that's mm-hmm. like you know like a great shot. My my favorite shot in the movie. Is, is a jib shot. It's when the bad guys are coming to the Amish farm and it starts low. It's a jib shot that raises up and it shows the three guys walking with their guns mm-hmm. straight into the farm. And it's just yes. this great, great imagery of 
chaos and violence that's about to ha- come across a place that is peaceful and it's all white it's painted it's, all white yeah and it's, got, it's yeah. early morning and you can you, you and you know, got the these specters has- in their dark suits kind of approaching even the shot right before where it's the really um telephoto shot of the road and the car coming over the edge, right. like over the horizon line it stops mm-hmm. and it just slowly creeps back great yeah so i mean again this is just an impeccably shot movie, and it makes me kind of want to rewatch Peter Weir's work a lot because I don't think I've seen his other movies to the same extent that I've seen Witness. I've seen Master and Commander, and I know I enjoyed it, and I feel like that movie deserves a rewatch now because mm. this uh, this movie is so good for me. Um, the I, Truman Show as well. I mean, the Truman Show is really good. I've seen that a number of times, and that's a good one. He haven't seen that in a while either. So, yeah, the man doesn't make a lot, but I guess he knows uh, where to sink his money when he wants to make one. So, um, final technical question I have, a plot question, and we brought up this a little bit earlier, but I don't know if I got consensus. So, I'm of the opinion that they do not have sex. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? I agree with you, yeah. Yeah, it's it's unrequited love. Or does he take her in the fields? No, I don't think he does. Okay, just curious. Because they they, 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 they do, like, drop to the ground, and I think you could make the argument— that they do at that moment, but I kind of like it better that they don't. Yeah, I agree. I the, the best, I, agree. I think, the best love stories on at least on film are, are usually the ones in which the characters, at least by the end of the movie, aren't together. You know, like you think of the the best romances, a like Casablanca. I would right. say this, uh, maybe something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind ends on a very ambiguous note. Uh, you know, I think the great romances are usually, you know, you don't necessarily know if they're going to get together, or maybe they don't get together. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, a sad song is the best kind of song. You know. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, um, all in all, good stuff. Uh, any final thoughts you guys have about Witness? Um, uh, because I think it, I said everything it, I said. Yeah, no, I think I think we have as well. I mean, I think I... Oh, 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 have, okay. What? <laughs> what? That's a rigging endorsement. Like, uh, yeah, I said that yeah. Dude, I love this movie. I think if yeah. I haven't made that clear, you know. I mean, hey, I mean, fish out of what I mean... Did, is it me or did this movie kick off a uh, storm of fish out of water stories? I mean, you know, I'm thinking I was, of Northern Exposure. That, that was a popular show in the 90s. What, what was uh, the premise of that show? Uh, a guy is forced to go live in Alaska. I don't think I don't think that this movie uh, started that trend. I think it was very popular in the 80s and early 90s. Hmm. Uh, there was a lot of movies like that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of them. Now I'm, now I'm blanking. Oh, Crocodile Dundee is oh, the other sure. imperative yeah. one of uh, right Fish Out of Water Story, which is one I want to rewatch for this podcast, actually. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we... Not, not that good of a movie. <laughs> disagree, man. Maybe, Crocodile Dundee? Oh, it's great. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Great. No. Great. No way. One of the best musical scores in any movie. Wow. I think you're... It's you're, been a long time since I think you're it. tainted because the sequels are so bad. That's the problem there's with... How many sequels to Crocodile Dundee are there? I think there's two. Really? There's Crocodile Dundee 2. I saw two. And then there's Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Which, um, I had which, no idea. Which is, uh, not to digress too much on the podcast, but... Uh, which Should there have the been time. a Witness sequel? Witness in... Witness, witness more, in, um, I don't know, in Nevada or something? Well, I mean, the, the, the wonderful thing is that, thank God there isn't a sequel to this movie, but the, the horrible Hollywood sequel would be Kelly uh, McGillis moves to the city to be with Book. That uh, would have been... No, 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 no. No, what ends, up, yeah, what ends up happening is Harrison Ford goes to the farm and, and sees a murder, and he gets... Or... No, I guess, yeah, she would just end up in the city, and she has to, like... And she <laughs> needs to contact and, the And policeman. Daniel comes hunting for her, and he's angry, and he's trying to kill her in the city, and it's, like... <laughs> and we call it W2, Judgment Day. Right. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where I'm really glad this... I mean, it's not a movie you can revisit, and anyone smart would realize that. It's just we don't often understand that with movies, where we're like, well, the first one worked. So nah, I think this, this is a good, uh, you know, start, finish, 
its own self-contained story to leave it alone. Completely. Uh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. And uh, yes, thank God there is no sequel. Uh, and <laughs> we're going to find out there's going to be a remake or sequel. Again. Oh, it's going to be a reboot. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, a sequel story. And then, By the way, Jonas did you Brothers. guys see a childlike Viggo Mortensen? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> childlike. He, yeah, I think he was probably like in his early 20s. He has, he has he no facial hair. He probably couldn't even grow it at the time. Who would, <laughs> who would think he would become the leader, the king of men? The king of men. <laughs> yeah, well, Lord of the Rings. Come not on. in real life. Yeah, yeah in Her- real life. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah, Harrison Ford I'm handed him. Talking to a person who has an Aragorn sword. I Harrison Ford handed him down the masculine trophy of what it's like to be the most manly yeah. man. Right. Yeah. So he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Harrison Ford's uh, manly cooties. That's what the movie is about, really. Watch Viggo Mortensen. Watch him. He has he has a lot of depth to his character. He's watching him, and he's like, this is a man right here. I was this... too busy watching Harrison Ford's heaving chest as he drank lemonade. <laughs> I, I couldn't. Uh, you and me both, man. Well, the thing the interesting thing about Harrison Ford is he's obviously um, an attractive guy, and you know you understand obviously. why he's a, you you understand why he's a celebrity, and you understand why he is a star. But the thing about him is he's not super muscular. He's not like he's re- yeah, he's really not. It's it's not. all about the attitude, the kind. It's just his swagger, his personality. It's not like he's like you know. It's not like he takes off his shirt and it's like a pure six pack in there. But he's still like the manliest man. So yeah, he's like yeah, he, he's um he's not super cut or super in. Sh- it's not like showy. It's like it's legit. It's authentic. He's just like no, he's just capable. He's not necessarily cut. Yeah, um, he's like the kind of guy you might want as your dad. You know, like I wouldn't say that about Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. You know, here's the as thing: far as he, stars. He, he can do as many push ups or benches or abs as he needs to. That's it. Yeah, that's what it is. It's oh. just, it's, it's, <laughs> I was whatever, waiting for you to whatever it is he can do. It, about it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And by the way, I love his line when she's like, "You're a man who whacks people." And he's like, "Whacking, <laughs> whacking, whack, 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 And he brings yeah. it back later on. I love, I love that. That's, Even the little psych gags in the movie works when he comes out in her husband's old clothes and the sh- the pants are way oh, too short. Oh, pants are short. Oh, and he's yeah. got the just, the bullets in the flower. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff. And when in there. and the and the guys come in to uh, court her, and then they cut to Harrison Ford just walking around <laughs> with his hands <laughs> in his pocket. It's just this movie's so damn good, guys. And yeah, uh, really glad I got a chance to review it for the show. Uh, in my opinion, as Dave would not probably give it the uh, uh, moniker, but I think it's a masterpiece, guys. No, I think I, I'd, I'd say I'll it's a masterpiece. It a masterpiece. I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think Dave was going to say that. Yeah, I'm giving it the, I'm giving it the moniker. Whoa, it's a big deal. That's a good way to close out this episode. Any the golden uh, fi- shelf? Anything we? Any final thoughts do you have uh, before I, uh, you know, do all the show notes and all that show business? That happens. Uh, oh, good. I think you're, we're good to go on to the show business. <laughs> on the show business. All right, guys. Um, you ready for the show business? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say this. Uh, thanks to a couple of people who actually wrote into the podcast and Ooh. posted on the website. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Uh, movie, uh, they want us to... So they like what we're doing, so we appreciate that. They have suggested they would like to see us do some more animated films. So, And this has been brought up by a, a few other people. Um, so for our next film on the podcast and I've been promising a lot of people this for a while uh, we're going to be doing um, Ghost in the Shell the anime movie from 1995 I believe it is um, so we were God, doing I thought that it was older on, than that I don't I think it's 95 right Am I, I don't know crazy? actually um, Dave's not an anime guy that's where his movie knowledge ends we found it we found the edge of Dave's internet uh, yeah I think you're right 95 there you go so we'll be watching that film, uh, a movie that's very popular and also very much in the news this year because they're remaking it as a live-action Hollywood movie starring Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson, Johansson yeah. much to the chagrin of Asian females 
everywhere. And this is a big topic because of the whole, um, I don't know if you guys saw the Great Wall trailer that just came out. Oh, yeah. Where it shows um, Matt Damon in lead role in a movie that takes place I in that China. Was a, I thought that was a fake trailer when it first came because it came out on the day that uh, the new Jason Bourne movie opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I I, it's funny <laughs> because that movie gets a lot of uproar on the internet right now about being racist, which it is, but that's also not Matt Damon's fault and it has a lot to do with where that funding's coming from, which is Chi- Chinese audiences are... Uh, probably the lar- are the largest growing cinematic audience so they're funding China is funding a lot of movies and co-financing a lot of movies and they like so, Mad Damon and they love no seriously uh, China, China loves certain mainstream stars and one of them is Matt Damon so that's why Matt Damon's in that movie guys it's mm-hmm. not because Hollywood didn't want to cast an Asian person it's because chi- uh, the Chinese financiers wouldn't have given millions of dollars to make it uh, unless someone like Matt Damon signed on so that is interesting uh, but yeah so we'll be talking about Ghost in the Shell uh, Mike, where can find people find you on the internets? People can find me on the internets at um, my website, MikeMirandi.com or at MikeMirandi on Twitter. So you can listen to me not tweet ever, but that's where I am. Oh, okay. I retweet a lot of GIFs. Yeah. GIFs. Dave, it's don't not, even talk to me about it's it. Not, it's not the create. Everybody, it everybody graphic listen to me. Interface, graphic it interface. Matter. Yeah, it the creator of, of the GIFs said that that's how you pronounce it. It's a tomato-tomato tomato situation. It doesn't no. matter. It is yes. gospel. <laughs> I will fight you to the death, Dave. I'll break a pool stick in half. We'll each get a piece, and we'll fight each other over it. Mike, your website is menstruating. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't be anymore. It shouldn't be. But <laughs> David? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at Ivan Kander on Twitter. That's I-V-A-N-K-A-N-D-E-R. My website is LuckyNineStudios.com, and I'm right net. <laughs> I write net at for short of the week.com. So there you go. Um, if you want to, uh, if you like this podcast, it'd be awesome if you could go and uh, give us um, a like or rating on iTunes and on Facebook, facebook.com slash reviewed podcast, and email us with your movie suggestions at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Dot com. Dot com. So that's where all our jank is. Uh, until next time, uh, we will be talking uh, about Ghost in the Shell. Boo. Oh, God. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's going to be a terrible episode. It'll be a new view. There's uh, like anime boobs in that, right? Oh, there's so many. There's so much tits. Hold on. I'll be right back. I got to shut this off.